We have two ice giant planets in our solar system, Uranus and Neptune. What will we find out about them when the James Webb Space Telescope takes a look? That will give us a massive insight into these other solar systems that we're, we're seeing. I had so many teachers and uh, tutors and just um, people in my life that said, maybe um, science uh, is, is a little bit hard, like try doing something else. And uh, I'm really glad that I didn't listen to them and uh, I let my heart decide. Hi, I'm Jim Green and this is Gravity Assist, NASA's interplanetary talk show. We're going to explore the inside workings of NASA and meet fascinating people who make space missions happen. I'm here with Naomi Rowe Gurney, and she is a postdoctoral research associate at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center through the Howard University in Washington, D.C. Now she specializes in the study of two of my favorite planets, Uranus and Neptune. And she'll be using the Webb Telescope to find out more about these fabulous ice giants of our solar system. So welcome, Naomi, to Gravity Assist. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I've got to tell you, you know, we just haven't been back to the ice giants in so long after Voyager 2 flew by both of them. Not Voyager 1. Voyager 1 went on its way. But only Voyager 2 has observed, you know, those two beautiful ice giants. And, and you've been studying those for a long time. What is your favorite aspects of these ice giants? And why do we call them that? Why aren't they just gas giants? Yeah, so I love the ice giants. I think I love them mostly because they haven't been looked at very much. Um, I, I initially wanted to do my PhD on these two planets because there were so many unanswered questions and we just really don't know even like the fundamentals of where they came from and why they are the way they are and, and why they're called ice giants. I mean, people are still kind of debating that name and whether it's appropriate and whether they should really be called rock giants because who knows what's inside. It really takes a, a mission, a proper mission with like an orbiter to look at um, the, the gravity of a planet to be able to figure out what's happening on the inside. Now, the composition of the atmosphere has kind of given us that clue that they're different than than uh, Jupiter and Saturn. And, and, and that's because it's got a variety of ices. And you've mm -hmm. been working on the thermal structure and composition. What is the most exciting things that you've been finding out? Yeah, so um, that's the reason why they're blue, because they have high levels of methane in their atmosphere. And uh, that methane, I study the middle atmosphere, which is like the stratosphere and the upper troposphere. Um, and that's kind of down to around one bar, which is around the same pressure that we have here on Earth on air. So that's kind of the level that I look at. And um, what we see there is that the sun interacts with the methane in the atmosphere and it breaks down the methane into lots of different hydrocarbons. So lots of these chains of different things with hydrogen and carbon in with lots of fancy names like diacetylene and acetylene and methylacetylene, all of these. And uh, we still don't really know everything, like the composition of everything that's in there. And we're still finding new things all the time. And that's why the JWST is so exciting, because 
uh, we are going to be able to see a lot more of what's going on and a lot more of these like complex hydrocarbons and things. A couple news releases uh, that I've seen uh, have concepts where carbon gets hardened almost to the point or maybe to the point of being diamonds. Do we see those kind of things in, in Uranus and Neptune's atmospheres? So I, I mentioned methane being the reason why these two planets are blue. Well, um, methane has uh, carbon in it, and that carbon um, can occur by itself and also be uh, crushed by the immense pressures that happen like deep in the atmosphere, so much deeper than the levels that I look at. And um, inside the planet, when it gets really hot and, and really dense, um, these, these diamonds form and accumulate, and then they become even heavier. And that means that they kind of rain down in the atmosphere. But it's not the rain that we see here, because um, these pressures are extreme, and uh, you'll, you'll never be able to get there as, as a human. So um, even if these diamonds do exist, we, we would never be able to go and grab them. So unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> you know, one of the really exciting things about planetary science is that when we go from planet to planet, we look at some things that are similar in addition to the differences. And one thing we look for is lightning. Now, here on Earth, we see our lightning, but in the upper atmosphere, there's some really spectacular forms like sprites, we call them, and elves and blue jets and all kinds of exotic uh, discharges that happen in our own atmosphere. Do you think we'll find those in Uranus and Neptune? Yeah, definitely. I think that there's already been some research done on uh, the kind of traces that we find in, in chemicals that is left behind by uh, lightning and things. That uh, research has already been done using some ground-based telescopes. So that uh, is exciting stuff that's already happening on Uranus and Neptune that we're seeing. The lightning on other planets is similar, I think, to the lightning that we have on Earth as well. So all of those like elves and sprites and things are also things that we're trying to look for on, on other planets like Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune. Well, you know, I think the Voyagers using the plasma wave experiment uh, did indeed find lightning, at least at Neptune and at Uranus. That's really exciting. So, so that changes chemistry too in the atmosphere. And one of the really great things that, that have happened as we've been monitoring uh, Uranus and Neptune with Hubble, you know, so we have many years of Uranus and Neptune data. Hubble observed some big spots on Neptune recently. What's that all about? Yeah, so um, Hubble looks at the near-infrared and the visible wavelengths. And uh, in visible, we can look at... Uh, what's happening in every color that we can see with our eyes. So um, these spots on Uranus and Neptune appear as like these blue um, dark spots, um, just like the great dark spot that we saw with Voyager on Neptune. And um, we are trying to observe um, as many of these as possible because we think they're kind of like the uh, great red spot that's on Jupiter, like a big storm system that creates lots of changes in the atmosphere in all levels of the atmosphere. And it's still unknown as to how a dark spot 
changes the uh, upper levels and and changes the chemistry and the circulation going on. So um, that's a, a major thing that the JWST is going to be looking at because um, we're using the mid-infrared in with JWST. And the mid-infrared is really interesting because it senses a little bit higher up than those visible and near-infrared uh, wavelengths um, in the stratosphere. And that's where all of that interesting chemistry is going on that I was talking about. And that, we think, is also being affected by these dark spots um, that might be these um, circular storms that are happening. Um, and that's actually what my PhD was looking at uh, with Spitzer. Um, but the problem with Spitzer is that it's so small, it's only uh, like 0.85 meters in diameter, so less than um, less than a meter. And Yeah, the, tel- uh, the telescope mirror itself. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually the same size as the secondary mirror of the JWST. So the mirror that is used to focus the um, that big 6.5 meter mirror is the same size as the Spitzer's major mirror. So wow, um, yeah, that's and good. that's a good metric. <laughs> yeah, right. That is a massive advantage because with Spitzer, we didn't have any images because they're so far away, both Uranus and Neptune, so far, um, and they're also quite cold. It means that. Uh, we only had like a point of light. So we can look at it like we look at a star in, in the night sky. That's how far away they are. And all we get is one spectrum. So one piece of light for just the whole planet. So Hubble has been observing Uranus and Neptune, but there are specific proposals that come in and do that. Have you been involved in any of those? Yes. So just recently, in fact, uh, today, this morning, I found out that one of my uh, proposals that I sent in uh, to observe the ice giants has been approved on HST 30, so cycle 30, which is really, really exciting. Like Hubble Space Telescope is amazing. Um, It was launched in 1990, and actually that makes it the same age as me, um, which always makes me feel very... (laughs) <laughs> both old and also very young. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my project uh, is going to be using Hubble to look at Uranus and Neptune to kind of increase the science that we have for uh, with the JWST. So it's going to be looking at them hopefully as close as possible to the JWST observations. And that will mean that we are getting even more wavelengths um, in there because JWST is looking at the mid-infrared and the near-infrared, but Hubble has capabilities all the way down to the uh, visible, uh, which is really exciting because we're using visible and also some of the near-infrared. So we can expand that that window and also the depths that we're looking at in the atmosphere. Wow, perfect. Well, you know, one of the things that really fascinated me about Uranus and Neptune is the heat that they produce. You know, all our planets are hot on the inside. They're still cooling off from when they were made 4.6 billion years ago. But Neptune, correct me if I'm not right, is producing more heat on the inside than Uranus is. Do we know what's happening? That's true. So it's actually Uranus that's the weird one. Uh, Neptune is is creating the amount of heat on the inside that we would expect a planet to make. Oh, so thank just you like, for correcting me. Yeah, yeah. Just like on Earth, we have um, like 
uh, things like the the mantle happening inside. It's sort of like the remnant of the the creation of the planet is still hot on the inside, and it's only very slowly cooling down. And that's what we expect to see with all of the other planets as well—a hot interior left over from uh, creation. And uh, that's not what we see at Uranus. We see uh, a negligible internal heat. So it, it looks like there's no internal heat really going on at all um, inside, and that's very strange. And um, one ex explanation is that uh, Uranus was hit by something really big and kind of turned inside out and all of that internal heat got lost. And that would also explain why the planet is on its side, um, which is also another weird and very unique thing in the solar system. No other planet is just on its side spinning um, like on its axis in the wrong direction. That's fantastic. Well, you know, uh, we've been looking at uh, planets beyond our own in our own solar system, and Kepler uh, came out with some amazing results. And, and those results indicated the distribution of planets that we see in other solar systems. And uh, I always thought, oh, well, we got to be seeing all, you know, a bunch of Jupiters. But it turns out Jupiter's not, you know, big Jupiters are, are, are not one of the common planets. But indeed, more what we call super Earths, but also many Neptunes. And so uh, the ice giants, Uranus and, and Neptune, uh, hold a really special place uh, in terms of uh, how important they might be for other solar systems. What can you tell me about those kind of capabilities? Yeah, so that's a major motivation behind looking at our own ice giants and why the uh, entire planetary science community and science community is so interested in both of these planets now. It's because we found so many of these Neptune-sized or Uranus-sized, just ice giant-sized planets um, in other solar systems. And we can look at our own ice giants and try and understand a little bit more about how they're formed um, and uh, their place in our solar system and how they got there. And that will give us a massive insight into these other solar systems that we're, we're seeing. You know, right after Webb's launch on December 25th, man, you must have been busy. Yeah, so um, straight after launch, like, I didn't have too much to do with launch. That was all the engineers and ESA and um, doing all of that. But then after that first stage, we did deployment. That was like the first phase of commissioning is what we call it. Um, this this phase, this six-month phase, getting the telescope ready for science is called commissioning. And uh, so that first stage was deployment, getting the uh, telescope through to uh, the L2 Lagrange point, which is where it orbits, um, which is 1.5 million kilometers away from here to make sure that the telescope's nice and cold so that it can see everything that it's looking at in its infrared uh, images. And then after that, when it reached there and deployed successfully, then uh, after phase two is the telescope alignment. So where it made all of these 18 separate movable segments into one seamless, like giant 6.5 meter mirror. And then the third stage is the stage that I've been involved in, um, which is the science instrument commissioning. And uh, I've been involved in a team called the Moving Target Commissioning Team. And uh, that means that we have been looking at 
at asteroids, um, so asteroids that are in the asteroid belt mostly, and making sure that the telescope is able to track things that are moving um, because everything in the solar system compared to uh, distant objects is a moving target. And it means that the telescope actually has to move uh, physically as it is looking at these objects. Um, and that is uh, definitely needed for everything in the solar system. So um, that's what we've been testing in, in this uh, last phase. And then that will be over soon. And then those first images come out on the 12th of July, which is very exciting. So the first light science from JWST is going to be shown July 12th. And then from then on, we're going to see all kinds of fantastic stuff coming out in this regular schedule that it has. So when will Webb start looking at solar system objects? So it won't be part of those first images that come out on the 12th of July, but um, we will actually start to look at solar system objects it's just those images won't be uh, released to scientists until after that 12th of July date. And then they won't be released as kind of science or anything until uh, our scientists have done their analysis and calibration and everything. So um, probably we'll see those first things come out um, at the end of the summer, I would say. Is, is it optimistic? Now, one of your jobs is uh, you're a JWST solar system ambassador. Yeah. So tell me what that's all about and what are you doing? So I help everybody who has uh, guaranteed time observations, which means uh, observations in the, this first year um, of the James Webb's uh, lifetime. And so everybody who is using JWST to look at solar system uh, objects or uh, planetary systems, um, so all four giant planets, uh, Mars, um, uh, also the rings and all of the moons as well. So those ocean worlds and uh, Titan and icy moons um, and smaller moons as well of Saturn, uh, we're going to be looking at. And I am there to kind of assist people in uh, going from data all the way through to getting their science published. Well, so you'll be right on top of some of the latest discoveries. Yeah, I hope so. Well, that's fantastic. I, I, I know this is going to be such an exciting time for our scientists and for NASA with a telescope so large looking at wavelengths that we cannot see from the ground. Well, Naomi, I always like to ask my guests to tell me the person, place, or event that propelled them to become the scientists they are today. And I call that event a gravity assist. So, Naomi, what was your gravity assist? My gravity assist was an event slash place. It was when I was about five years old, I went to the uh, planetarium in London and I hadn't really thought about Earth or space or anything like that before then. And it just completely opened my mind and I was just obsessed with space ever since then. And I loved uh, cosmology and astrophysics and planetary science and even earth science. I was just obsessed with it. And I went through my entire school life um, loving science, um, being terrible at maths, but going through it just because I really wanted to do science and obviously getting to where I am today because of that first, yeah, gravity assist from the planetarium in London. So love them. Wow, that's that's really neat. And I have to comment on your math mention because uh, uh, there's so much 
different types of math. Not all math is created equal, so to speak. True, true. I was horrible in geometry. I just did not like it. But I mean, <laughs> give me a differential equation and I'll solve it. I'm the same. I hate numbers. I still count on my fingers because numbers just don't make sense to me. So I'm, I, I'm great at algebra though. So yeah, it's all different, different types of math. So It is, it is. So uh, I always encourage uh, kids in school to look past that, not to be discouraged because uh, they have trouble in one area of math, because they'll find out that in the end, uh, the kind of math that they can really get into will help them be the scientist that they are and the engineer that they are uh, in their future life. So, so uh, those challenges are important to overcome. Yeah, I would say my advice would be uh, don't listen to people when they say that you can't do something. I had so many teachers and uh, tutors and just um, people in my life that said, maybe you should do something a bit easier. Maybe you should, um, I don't know, um, like pick a different subject. Uh, maybe maths isn't for you. You know, maybe um, science uh, is, is a little bit hard, like try doing something else. And uh, I'm really glad that I didn't listen to them. And uh, I let my heart decide that even if it was hard, I was going to try. And uh, I thankfully have a very supportive family um, that were always very supportive of me. Well, Naomi, thanks so much for telling us about the fantastic science of these gas giants and that JWST is going to give us so much more information about them. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Well, join me next time as we continue our journey to look under the hood at NASA and see how we do what we do. I'm Jim Green, and this is your Gravity Assist. <laughs>